Good morning, everybody. So um, last Wednesday, this Wednesday was December 21st, which as I'm sure most of you know, uh, was winter solstice. And the exact time that it happened was 1.48 p.m. here. I don't think people knew exactly when it happened. You know, it's kind of a recent thing. And so I think everybody knows that what winter solstice is about is that it marks the time when the Earth's poles uh, hit their maximum tilt, in, in our case, for away from the sun, and then reaching the state begins to tilt in the opposite direction which means that in the winter, uh, we go from the shortest day of the year, shortest daylight uh, back towards um, longer daylight. So if you live in a culture without electricity or an agrarian culture, or you lived uh, hundreds of years ago, you know, you're going to have, this is going to be a really monumental and transformative time in a real physical, visceral way. And I think that many people in our culture are still aware of this, but I think mainly what we're aware of it is as a uh, time of transformation, a time of reflection, a time of renewal. And um, so I think still for us, this can be a very monumental and transformative day, if you will, or time of the year. And it's the time of the year when everything is made anew. So there are a lot of many, many um, religious ceremonies that have to do associated with winter solstice. For example, Christmas is associated, I think, with winter solstice or even Buddha's birthday, which is December 8th. Um, it is this way in which something happens and something happens that is uh, efficacious, that is a rebirth. So it's a time that, that, that we should reflect upon. So for Dogen, Dogen in the Ehe Koroku, which is a record of little talks that he gave at Eheji, Ehe Koroku, record of things said at Eheji, and he would give these little talks and he usually he'd give one at the solstice and he'd give one on Buddha's birthday and he'd give one on New Year's Day and he'd give them at other times as well. So I thought, well, what did Dogen have to say about uh, winter solstice? So I'm gonna talk about one of those talks or probably 10 of them, 10 or 12 of them in the book. So, Here's what he said. He said um, on one year that he of the winter solstice, he said, when clouds and waters are sufficient, they arrive whether it is from near or far. When gruel and rice are sufficient, right at this time, we have our life. The clouds flow through the mountains, the waters are boundless in the oceans. Everywhere monks enter, 
this essential teaching? How can there be a different Dharma for each of them? Right at this time, can you all clearly understand? Students with eyes wide open throughout their bodies encounter me. Kichijo, Mount Eheji, a person of clouds and water. Okay, so I wanna talk about what this means and also what we might take from it. First of all, clouds and waters in Japanese is unsui, which refers to monks. But I think we can think of it as ourselves. So it's talking about ourselves as practitioners. We are clouds and water. And uh, these clouds are moving, water is moving. So this specifically refers to in a kind of traditional way about the monks going from monastery to monastery for practice periods. They would go around to different monasteries. But for us, I think for us, you know, it talks about our seeking mind, this mind that, that is going around, kind of looking, trying to use the Dharma to respond to the problems that we have. And, you know, in a way, we never graduate from this. We may shift the way we understand the problems or the questions that we have, or we have a different way and a, probably a calmer way and a way with more equanimity that we're looking at our issues and a way of reframing them. But I think as long as we're alive and breathing and interacting, we are, you know, we're still in that state of don't know, right? We're still in that state of how is it? What is the world about? What, am, what is my response? How am I functioning in the world and with other people? So that's how we can think of unsui. Now, the word sufficient that Dogen uses here is interesting because if you pronounce the word in Japanese, soku, it also refers to legs. Okay, so it can be translated as sufficient, the character, but the sound of it is the same character. It's a different character that means legs. So the upshot of that is that what we're saying is, that consequently is the first, the first sentence is, the practitioners come from near and far and their legs carry them to the temple. So I like that, that they are walking this path uh, to the temple. So the first line is when clouds and waters are sufficient, so when clouds and waters have legs, they arrive whether it is from far or near. So that's interesting that play on words between sufficient and legs. So uh, all of us, are from far and near, right? We all come from different places, not just different physical places, but we come from different, we have different questions. We come from different places in our heads. We have different uh, karmic afflictions, if you will. We have different uh, circumstances. So all of us are clouds and water. All of us come seeking the Dharma and We've traveled our life's journey looking for some kind of fulfillment and answers. I know that's true for myself. I think I've been looking for answers since I was a little kid. You know, I think we're all like this, why, why, why? And then the why used to be things like, well, you know, why is it this way? Why is it that way? And then maybe sometimes it was like, well, why are my parents like this? You know, what, what is the circumstance of my life? Like what's going on with this, you know? And then maybe it's later we get older, it's like, well, just why, you know? 
again, sort of, but now it's like, when I was younger, it was like questioned authority. Like, why do we go along with this culture? Why is it that we're doing this thing? So then I would seek, in my case, you know, it's like the big thing was the book Be Here Now, Baba Ram Dass. Or I also, there are these books about Egyptians. They were supposed to be texts that were channeled by people written by Egyptians back in the day, you know, when they were like Tutankhamun or something like that. So, or Seth Speaks, do you guys know Seth Speaks? So these, I'm dating myself, but anyway, these, these kinds of, you know, questions about trying to figure out how to answer this. Drop a little acid, smoke a little dope, you know, what, whatever it is, you're trying to figure out how it is, how does our life work? So we have to make this journey with our body as well as our minds. And so this is this walking, these are these unsweet walking. And we may have a map. We may think we have a map or we may have a map, but the bottom line is we have to actually walk the path. We just can't read about it, for example. So those of us who are here and you all who are online, you know, we, now we found ourselves at Ocean Gate. We've walked this path and we've ended up at Ocean Gate. And we are attracted to the Dharma. We're attracted to Buddha Dharma. We're not studying something else, for example. So we're studying the Buddha Dharma. We are listening to the verses of the 84, you know, the verses of the 84,000 Dharmas, the 84,000 things. So the causes and conditions of our life have brought us together. And by bringing us together, we have become Sangha. We have become Dharma family together. So even as this has happened uh, at different times of the year for us, right? We didn't all come at the same time. Each one of these times that we've come is like a turning point. It's a turning point in which we have turned the Dharma wheel. We come, we sit, we practice together and we experience this time of renewal with each other. And we may be experiencing this renewal at different times, but there's this way in which we also are doing this together and our days of light grow longer. So then Dogen says, when gruel and rice are sufficient, right at this time, we have our life. So when gruel and rice are sufficient, right at this time, we have our life. So in a monastic community, gruel and rice are the fuel of practice. You eat a lot of gruel and rice. Although I have to say the month I spent in Japan, we ate a lot of potatoes. I was actually quite surprised. The Japanese have many more ways of preparing potatoes than, than, that, than I've experienced in the United States. But anyway, back to this, we're doing gruel and rice. So gruel and rice are this fuel of practice. They're these very simple meals and they sustain our life. So, you know, it's important to do something very simple and nourishing when we practice. If we make our practice complicated, then we become lost in the weeds. So there's this way that we just wanna keep coming back to this what's simple as opposed to making things complicated. 
So you get up in the morning, you prepare for the day. Perhaps you come to Ocean Gate and you sit zazen, or you take a moment at home, or you go to work, whatever it is that your morning routine is. But the point is that you want to bring your life back to the present moment that you were experiencing at that time and not make it too complicated. Just come back to the present moment. You know, when I was doing Tangari with Sasara, I would say to myself, because Tangario is, is five days at Tassara where you sit Zazen for like, I don't know, 12, 14 hours a day. And you do it with a community, but as soon as a community, like the community comes in, they sit two thirds of Zazen in the morning, and then they everybody does service and they eat breakfast, and then everybody leaves and the Tangario students stay in the Zendo. And in our case, they turned off the heat, they turn off the lights because theoretically you're not there and you just sit there. And after a while I would say, how is it now? Are you okay now? And I'd say, yes, I'm okay now. Well, what about now? Now is now okay? Yeah, okay, now, now is okay. So it's like this way of, I wanted to just simplify this experience because I have to admit parts of it were very unpleasant. So there was this way in which it was just like, how is it now? And really, every time I asked myself that question, the simple answer really was, well, you know, I'm actually fine. I'm not going crazy. I'm not injuring myself. Maybe it's not my first choice. But if I'm really honest about it, everything's fine right now. So I say, please let us try to stay in the, in the present moment and not make things too complicated. Um, if we think that we're somehow bad because we don't do this, for example, like because our life is complicated, then actually we're making things more complicated. So really, when you feel bad about something, it's like, it's okay to feel bad about something because that's what we do as human beings. So you don't have to feel bad about feeling bad. You can just let go of the extra feeling bad and just feel bad. <laughs> no, just don't make it more complicated than it needs to be. So we want to let go of this kind of way of responding to our life that's extra, that just makes things more complicated. And I would say, on the other hand, we can't help ourselves because that's what it is to be a human being, is to make things more complicated. So... But what we strive to do in practice actually is to simplify things, to just make them more simple. Eat your gruel, sit zazen, read the paper, whatever it is that you do, take care of business, have good relationships. And, and Dogen tells he said, all of this happens right at this time. So that includes the mailman delivering the mail out in the boxes. <laughs> so, you know, just, just think about this. He says, right at this time. So right at this time is our life. Our life does not exist anywhere outside of right now. So we may think or we might wish that our life was happening at some other time, but you know, our life really, it can only happen in the present moment. Like, doesn't happen anywhere else. So the present moment is the key 
the present moment is the pivot point of our life. So just like solstice, you know, or the equinox, the present moment is like a tipping point. Each present moment. This is a stepping off point for everything that will become and everything that has been is in this moment of the present moment. So all that comes means that each moment is the foundation for all consequences, for all moments going forward in your life. So in each moment, if we are awake to that moment, we can choose the best way to respond to our life within the context of what we understand, but we can make that choice. So it's only in this moment that we can do that. We can't do it in the future and we can't do it in the past. So it is in this moment that we can transform our beliefs about the past. And it's in the mo this moment, this present moment that we build the future. So, you know, we can't change the past and it's only in the current moment that we define to ourselves our experience of the past. So it is moment after moment that we give meaning and how we define ourselves in relationship to our present experience. Does that make sense? And so, you know, we do way-seeking mind talks. So actually, Jaku and I should do one for you all. So we do way-seeking mind talks. And I think I've done four when I was at San Francisco Zen Center. I did one when I'd been there for about three months. I did one in another practice period. I think I did one when I was just so, and I think I did another one. Every time I gave a way-seeking mind talk, I gave a different story about my life. Because every time I gave a way-seeking mind talk, my practice had changed my understanding of the nature of the past experiences that I'd had. So I gave, the, I talked about those past experiences in different ways. So one, when I wish you so, I gave away a seeking mind talk where what I tried to do consciously was describe the nature of my experience, taking the Joseph Campbell's, the hero's journey, right? And they're talking about my life that way. But when I first talked about my experience, my first Dharma talk, it was more about all the horrible things that had happened to me, right? So it was like, it was like I had a different way of viewing my life and how I could prevent it. So I think it's important that we think about how we construct this past that we've lived and how we define ourselves in the present. Um, and then think about how we're gonna go forward in relationship to that in a wholesome way. So this can be a time of reflection. Reflect on how you understand yourself. And of course, that we always are kind to ourselves and to others, but in this particular instance, not to forget to be kind to ourselves, to be compassionate to ourselves, and to remember that nothing is fixed in stone, and that we really do live in impermanence. So we don't have to experience our past as a millstone around our neck, that we can work with that and we can 
transform our understanding of that. And yet, having said that, I think there are things about our lives that we will never not perhaps experience as problems, that we will be working with this experience or these experiences for the rest of our life. So I don't want to suggest that it's like a magic wand, you know, that we're just like, oh, okay, I'm going to change my mind about that. All right, that's done. I'm not going to, you know, that's not going to bother me anymore. Doesn't work like that. But this question of what is this story that we construct about our lives in the present moment, I think is really an important thing to look at. So this is the how of right at this time, we have our life. We are defining our lives to, to ourselves moment to moment. So remember the part about the poem Mary Oliver wrote, and she said, tell me, what is your plan to do with your one wild, precious life? What is your plan to do with your one wild, precious life? We, all we know, at least this is for me anyway, all I know is this one wild, precious life. I don't know if I'm reborn. I don't know if I will be reborn. I don't know for sure all of that stuff. But what I do know is that I have been given this wondrous experience of being self-conscious in a world that is a beautiful world, despite all of the problems that we have and the complications. And maybe this is the only time I will be here. And when I'm gone, that's that. So what will I do with this wild and precious life? I think that's like a really, really important question. And then Dogen says, the clouds flow through the mountains. The waters are boundless in the ocean. So remember, clouds and water, when sweet, right? Practitioner. The clouds flow through the mountains. The waters are boundless in the ocean. So I ask myself, here is this opportunity to marvel at the amazing life this, of this planet that I find so beautiful and wild. And often my experiences are looking at my difficulties rather than my joy and forgetting to recognize this face of the luminous komyo. So where Dogen uses this luminous light of reality's functioning, this isness and this luminosity. And that I am not separate from this. I am not separate from this wild and precious life of the 84,000 verses that are constantly speaking to me. Hey, Shinshu, over here, the Dharma, 84,000 verses. Did you hear one? Do you hear two? So again, this is only found, we can only hear the 84,000 verses in the present moment. So please do not forget to enjoy your gruel and rice. You know, often when people are dying, this seems to become very apparent to them. Often when people are dying, not for everybody, but many people have this luminosity about them, this experience of this incredible joy because they are really experiencing their life in the present moment. 
and that beauty and the realization that this wild and precious life is impermanent and will not stay. So they take on this radiance that comes with this appreciation for every breath. This is this present moment of the preciousness of life. So we should reflect on that. We are clouds and water. We are unsui, seeking our life, finding our life, living our life. And sometimes beautifully that's happening. And sometimes it's complicated with suffering. And sometimes we have both suffering and joy functioning together. But you know, we are never far from the mountains or the oceans. We are always part of this big picture. That's the mountains and the oceans. This big functioning reality. This reality of this wild and precious life. And I said, we are never far from, we are never not it. So it's not even a matter of we're not far from it. We are it itself. We are the clouds that flow across the mountains or fly in the mountains. And, and we are completely the mountain at the same time. So Dogen wrote a poem and he said, one of the lines is, for many years, I merely saw that mountains had snow. This winter, suddenly I realized that snow completes the mountain. He said, for many years, and the crow agrees, by the way. So for many years, he said, I merely saw that mountains had snow. This winter, suddenly I realized that snow completes mountains. So clouds also complete mountains. Waters complete oceans. So that is to say that our lives are not separate from all of life, nor are our struggles and seeking somehow keeping us from experiencing the mountain and the rivers the mountains and the oceans. So we are the water that flows into the vast ocean. We are the clouds that cap the mountains and the mountains are us being capped by the clouds and the ocean is us receiving the water from the rivers. You know, we wanna separate these two images the ocean and the river, the mountains and the cloud, or as Dogen's talking about the snow and the mountains, but they are not separate from each other. They are the totality of this impermanence of this wild and precious life manifesting itself at this very moment. It's not about, in the case of Dogen's metaphor about the snow and the mountains, it's not about the mountains without snow. It's not about the mountains without clouds. It's not about the mountains without the mountain boats. It is all of that is the totality of that moment of the mountains complete isness of reality's functioning of your life in this moment. Your life is complete and totally your life. 100%. Nothing's missing in this moment of experiencing this life that you're experiencing. So clouds complete the mountains. Rivers complete the ocean. It's all one thing happening. So our life is not separate from all of life, nor are our struggles 
separate from our joy? Is our seeking separate from finding? All of this is this intimate connection of mountains and rivers. So we are the water that flows into the vast body of the ocean and the clouds that cap the mountains. When clouds cover the mountains and when rivers fill the oceans, again, they are one thing. They are not two things. So our difficulties, our interbeing with the totality of all of life is just one expression of our life and all life and life's functioning. That's the rice and rule of our practice. Can we come back to that? That's the rice and rule. That's the simplicity of this moment. Then Dogen said, everywhere monks enter this essential teaching. How could there be a different Dharma for each of them? Okay, so when we come to Zen, you know, we all enter into this practice the one practice expressing the Dharma as we understand it within the context of our lineage of Soto Zen. We sit Zazen, we engage in ritual, we have work, we do precise forms. In this Sangha, we sing, we sew, we have parties. So we do all of these activities. And this is, this is actually one Dharma. Uh, but at the same time, we all kind of hear different parts of the Dharma. So if you think of the Dharma as like a jewel, you know, that's the Dharma jewel. It's like a diamond with many, 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 84,000 facets. And we may see the, the light gleaming off of one facet, and that's what we get that day, you know. But also, essentially, there's just one Dharma that we're listening to. It's not... 84,000 dharmas, and yet it is 84,000 dharmas simultaneously. Like the Buddha's long, broad tongue, we hear the sounds of the valley streams. It's like the long tongue, and we understand, and we think we hear different teachings, but actually what we're hearing is just the dharma jewel resonating for us at our need in that particular time to hear something. So sometimes people will give a lecture, somebody says, oh, that's just what I needed to hear. You know, somebody else is probably thinking to themselves, ho hum, you know, what, what time is the football game on? Not, not, I know I'm the only person who watches <laughs> football in this room, but anyway, I think I am, <laughs> whatever it might be, right? When do I have to go grocery shopping? Whatever that might be. So, you know, why is it that, that some Dharma teaching resonates with one person really deeply and it doesn't really hit the mark for somebody else? And that's because we do need to hear different parts of these facets, but it's all, it's all the Dharma. So this Dharma jewel is the voice of our life. It is life itself speaking to us. It's speaking through us and it's speaking through the activities of all being. What do we hear? We hear specifically what we need to hear at that particular time. And this is this way in which we experience this intimacy of the Dharma, of our life, of this luminous, radiant life. So why is it talking about this idea about this simplicity 
and without complications. And you might be thinking to yourself, you know, well, at least I did when I was doing this, I thought to myself, but well, what about all this acrimony? You know, what, what's up with that? And I thought about, you know, the times when, you know, if there's a natural disaster, people just rally to each other. It's interesting. We, we don't have, we haven't had the big one here yet, but we see on television, you know, these hurricanes come or whatever. And all of a sudden the whole community is rallies around, you know, they're out on their boats, picking up people in the water. They're doing all this stuff. People are doing incredibly altruistic things. But, you know, I think the reason why that is, is because then it becomes so clear. It's very simple at that moment. We feel our humanity and our closeness. We feel this compassion towards the other. Immediately, we don't care whether somebody's a Republican or a Democrat. We don't care if they agree with us. We don't care if they support gay rights or not. You know, we're like, we're just going, oh, how can I help you? We don't care what color the person is. You know, if we go, you know, they have a dog that needs to be saved. We don't care whether the dog's a pedigree or not. Like we just go, okay, we've got to go do this thing. I've got some extra dog food. I'm going to give it to this person. I've got some extra food. I'm going to give it to this person. These people need our help. And we just immediately respond. It seems so simple in a situation like that. And yet then our lives get really complicated. As soon as the crisis is over, it's like we're back to business as usual. So I think that's an interesting, I have no answers for that, but I think right now, but I think it's an interesting thing to contemplate. Like, what is it that's going on there? I mean, I think it, the, clearly what happens is that we feel our community with each other. We feel our intimacy with each other. But why is it that we can't sustain that? Why is it that we can't keep that going forward? Why we forget it? What happens there? What, what is our, maybe, you know, where, where does our big mind go when this, you know, other mind takes over? Something to think about, I think. But in that moment, we realize, you know, the mountains and the clouds are not separate. In that moment, we see it as one thing. Right at this time, we understand that. We see this near need, and it's very clear and simple. So this is the gruel and rice that sustains us. And then finally, Dogen says, right at this time, can you all clearly understand? Students with eyes wide open throughout their bodies encounter me, Kichijo, Mount Eheji, a person of clouds and water. So he's saying, okay, right now, do you get this? And then he says, students with eyes wide open throughout their bodies encounter me, Kichijo. So you should know that when he's saying that, Dogen's talking about himself because the mountain name uh, Eheji in Zen, the mountain name is also the name of the teacher. So Dogen's saying, you're encountering Mount Eheji or Kichijo, and you're also encountering me, a person of clouds and water. So in this case, Dogen's saying, you know, the mountain upon which the monastery and the temple built, they have the same name. Students encounter Dogen. Students encounter the place and the time of Kichijo, or they encounter Eheji Monastery. Students encounter Jaku and I. Students encounter Ocean Gate. Students encounter each other, etc. I'm not going to say anything about Jaku and I being a mountain. <laughs> I will leave that for you to decide for yourself. 
I will say that this temple, Ocean Gate, our Soto Zen practice, is the mountain and the cloud of our settled life, of our practice, of our Dharma practice. So you and we, Japu and I, and all of us together, make this mountain the place of harmony and practice, this place called uh, Kayaman Zendo, Ocean Gate Zendo, this mountain of place and practice. So please take advantage of this wild and precious life. Please return to rice and rule. Please don't complicate it any more than we have to. So let's be with each other. Let's think about this. Let's go into this new year. And uh, contemplate this wild and precious life that we have and explore the forms with each other, explore the practice with each other, be a Sangha together. So let us practice together this life of practice realization. Thank you very much. <laughs>